in order to have mass adoption in some places, we have to look at the fact that a lot of people are not going to be able to understand what crypto is. So I feel like mass adoption is not going to look exactly like we all think it will look like. I think that mass adoption will be where people use crypto and they don't even know they're using crypto in the background. And then slowly but surely, they will start to realize that they're using crypto and it becomes part of their daily life. Hello everyone and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. Encrypted is the Middle East's largest podcast dedicated to blockchain, digital assets and fintech. I'm your host, Ahmed Al-Balaghi. In today's episode, we're here from Danny Oyakan, the founder of Dan Holdings, which is an investment firm focused exclusively on ventures, tokens and projects related to blockchain, technology, digital currency and digital assets. Now, in today's talk, we discuss remittances, the blockchain scene in Africa, decentralized finance, which is absolutely hot at this moment, and when the crypto market will be maturing. And before we start, I really want to give a shout out to our sponsor, who actually happens to be Dan from Dan Holdings. He's got an amazing product called CoinsApp, which has been doing very well since its launch in August of 2020. And CoinsApp is a global social payments application for cryptocurrencies based on the DAM blockchain ecosystem and payments infrastructure to empower billions of people to send money around the world in seconds. And yeah, they've launched their product already. So do keep an eye out for that and do check it out on the Apple Store and Google Store. I'd like to also thank those who've been supporting the show. And remember, you can support us in any way possible. You can subscribe, rate and review the show, share the podcast on your social media and any other way you feel like supporting. And now on to the show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. My name is Ahmed Al-Balaghi, and I'm the host, along with my wonderful co-host, Nick Watson. Say hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm very, very well. How is it going in Dubai right now? Fully open. To be honest, you know it's still only COVID because people are wearing masks. But other than that, I think we've been very fortunate to have an open market at the moment. So that's pretty good. Do you know what's really funny? I'm in London and when I leave the house, I actually forget to put a mask on. Why? Because no one wears a mask. Everything's open. Well, lots of things are open. And it's just like nobody cares that one in 10 will wear a mask. It's crazy. Over here, yeah. it's the opposite. Everybody wears a mask. Yeah. But then it's probably going to be the better country to come out of it. So. <laughs> exactly. No, absolutely. And we have a special guest with us calling from Barbados. Danny, or you can say hello. Hi. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? Nice to finally be on the show. I'm good. I'm good. Very good. And how's it in Barbados? Tell us. Like The weather is quite interesting. It's warm. And I've been here for about two months. So it's good weather. And luckily, I'm away from COVID. What, what do you mean you're away from COVID? Does it I mean, not... Oh, the cases are very, very, very limited here. And they are doing a lot of testing as you get into the country. Very, very strict in terms of allowing people from outside the country into the country. Mm. So the instances of cases here are relatively very minor. Interesting. Wow, that is pretty legit. So before we get into sort of the show, I just want to share a quick story. So I went to this like semi-Bedouin wedding. And I was just sort of friend, family friends of the bride. And it was really interesting because when, when the food came out, you had people, how were they eating food, right? It was literally one huge plate full of rice and meat. And you had five people around it eating with their hands. 
And this was like two weeks ago in a place here in London. And I'm just thinking to myself, um, <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, that's just sort of to, to sort of give you guys a, a understanding of how things are in different parts of the world. Anyhow, so Danny, introduce yourself for those who don't know you. So I'm Danny Aiken. I'm the founder and chairman of Dan Holdings. We are a blockchain technology ecosystem and we have a few products that we have in the market and are quite interesting in relation to decentralized finance, privacy protocols, and securing of our data, like decentralized database. Awesome. And and so, yeah, so what I wanted to really like dig into in the sort of in the first bit of the show is to sort of understand how are these different sort of pieces that you're building going to come together? Because as both, you know, a sponsor and also someone who's worked together for at least for the past year or so, I see you're doing quite a lot <laughs> in exchange, remittance and a wallet as well. Like what, what's going on? What's sort of the... So currently, about three weeks ago, we launched CoinZap and it's been going very well in Africa, especially. We started with Africa because we were able to get our regulatory um, side done faster. And now we're also looking at other markets like the Middle East. We're looking at the US market. We're looking at South America. We're looking at Southeast Asia. So basically what CoinZap is, is a global social payments app. For crypto, it allows you to send payments or everyday payments from country to country or within country, peer to peer using crypto. We power, we mostly use stable coins in the background. So we have our own stable coin called dollar coin. And we also have a, another localized stable coin for the African market, the Nigerian Naira. It's called NGN coin. And we also support Bitcoin and Ether. So aside from users being able to hedge against volatility or send money from country to country using our stable coins, they are also able to purchase Bitcoin, trade and, and buy and sell Bitcoin on our, on our platform. And we are also looking at offering virtual cards soon where users can buy stuff online with their crypto. Gotcha. Interesting. I might ask very soon, when is the Dan token going to come out? And, and, and I mean, but, but, but we'll leave Everyone's that to a Everyone's waiting for that token. <laughs> we'll we'll uh, leave that to a different discussion. We have the brand. It's called DeFi Dan. And guarantee you all go to the moon. <laughs> oh, Everyone's waiting for the token. I keep getting asked, when are you going to launch your token? When are you going to launch your token? So I know there's a lot of hype around that. I know that once we finally decide to launch our token, a lot of people are going to jump on it. But yeah, that's a discussion for another day. Yes, absolutely. What, yeah, what I really wanted to sort of, sort of learn more about is, and actually we don't usually hear about is just how it's really going in, in Africa when it comes to the blockchain crypto scene. You mentioned that's where you started. So clearly you have more of an understanding in, in that market. And of course, we've seen big folks like Binance sort of go there as well, establishing and even investing in a few companies and sort of other companies who are trying to make a difference. So could you sort of just brief us on like where we are currently when it comes to crypto in, in Africa? So where we are in, in, when it comes to crypto in Africa is that volatility is pushing adoption. I'll tell you, from, I'm, I'm originally from Nigeria. So in my native country, the Volumes of crypto purchases have been skyrocketing this year from Nigeria. Just 
Nigeria alone, and that's the biggest economy in Africa, 200 million people. So if if it's doing that, look at South, take a look at South Africa, take a look at Ghana, look, take a look at Kenya, take a look at Uganda. That is why countries like, like Binance are also in the market. I'll tell you, one in every two, three crypto startups is either Dan or Binance in Africa. Uh, and like everyone kind of knows everybody in the space. It's a small guarded space, but I think that it's growing fast enough. And I also think that it has a very, very ripe case for adoption. I think that in crypto, one of the markets that has the higher potential for adoption is Africa. And I believe that within the next two, three years, the Africa crypto scene is going to explode. That's just my personal belief, just because of metrics I've seen and how fast it has grown from even just last year to now. It shows so much that what I'm saying is it's on track. And aside from crypto being used mm. as a hedge against volatility, crypto is also used to send and cut costs for the remittance markets in Africa. So I'll give you a very good example. If, for example, I use Western Union or MoneyGram to send money from, I'm in Barbados or if I'm in the US, I want to send some money to somebody in Africa. It will cost me about 9 to 10% mm. safely because Apart from the fees, it's also going to cost me on the exchange rates. So the exchange rates there are not as good. Whereas if I buy Bitcoin or I just send it using USDC or own dollar coin or something and the receiver has a wallet that could just receive it there and they could withdraw it to their bank account, they will most likely be spending maybe two to three percent at the max, max. And I, I think, I think that I'm even well not, not on track with that. I think it's even more. The costs are even lower and we're even trying to get the costs lower and lower as the time goes by. So that, that's part of what we are doing, coins app in emerging markets, apart from Africa, and we're looking at Philippines, we're looking at Mexico. We're looking at those markets where this little $1, one cent can really make a difference for a family. That's what we feel. We want to empower billions of people to move money freely across the world. Mm, and you said, I mean, I'm trying to understand a bit more, especially when it comes to remittance the infrastructure. You mentioned you use stable coins in the background. I mean, A, like, because there, there are a couple of things that one has to think about the on and off ramps in those two different countries, whether the communities there, I mean, if they were to accept those in the background stable coins as a means of payment, then that makes it easier. They don't need to cash out. And also with the skyrocketing gas fees that we see in Ethereum, how does it make economic sense? So could you walk us through like how that remittance would work from, let's say, person A in country A to person B in country B? What, what we do generally is from, for example, you are in the UAE. We have our, our partner there is most likely a fiat on-ramp and you will load your wallets using the fiat on-ramp. The transactions within the app, they're not on-chain, so you don't, they, they don't necessarily have to be affected by gas fees. What basically is, is moved between one account to the other. And then the users most likely will liquidate in the fiat currency on-wrap in Africa. So we also have our partners in Africa who are also payment processors and we just do the off-ramp on there. So we use multiple on-ramps and off-ramps around the world. Mm. So it's a centralized service. Yeah, it is. It is. The, the service is centralized and that's how... Because in order to have mass adoption in some places, we have to look at the fact that a lot of people are not going to be able to understand what crypto is. So I feel like mass adoption is not going to look exactly like we all think it will look like. I think like mass adoption will be where people use crypto and they don't even know they're using crypto on the background. It's part of how mass adoption will evolve. And then 
slowly but surely they will start to realize that they're using crypto and it becomes a part of their daily life. So we are looking strictly into strictly into that. And so far, so good. We've been having good good numbers. And we feel like very soon we will start to look into other markets. How are you impacted by regulation in the different markets that you're operating right now? Ah, that's a tough one. So it goes jurisdiction by jurisdiction, right? Because what we're trying to pull off is quite is quite quite a job. So we have to always tie up the regulatory loose ends in each market. So the way it works is we generally apply for licenses in multiple jurisdictions. It's kind of like a bottleneck because we have to huddle through different countries, different regulators, speak to this one, speak to that one. But what we've done is we, we identify the, regulation, the regulators we could work well with in the start. And then we slowly continue working with more and more regulators. And it also helps us when we deal with the, the more stricter regulators to know how to deal with their concerns and address them so we could get licensed. And uh, currently, we're, we also have two applications pending for two other markets. I think one has to do with Middle East and one other market. And we're gradually moving across across borders. So I expect by early next year, we should have our, we should be fully operational in a lot of markets. So which, which markets are you in at the moment? Or you consider you'll be in by the end of 2020? I'll say by the end of 2020, we should be in the US market. We should be in the, we are already in the African market. We have, we're in Nigeria, Ghana, Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda. That's about four or five countries. And we expect possibly to be in the Middle East. But that's that's easier said than done. We would be in South Africa and we might be in Philippines as well. Okay. So like the whole premise of the, the transfer mechanism is social engagement between your friends and you and people you engage with, right? So everything can be done through the chat application. I can chat to people and then send them tokens within the chat. Yep, 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 exactly. So basically, not only do using the chat, because chat is the uh, telechat messenger, social messenger. We current, what, what we currently did is we launched the social payments app first, and we are going to now put it back into our telechat. So it's interoperable. And so users can decide not to even use telechat and still be able to send payments just like Cash App to their friends or loved ones across the world. So we're making it easy for everyone to use our services regardless of how they want to use them or interact with them. And then the people on the platform themselves, they're, they're known entities, they are KYC, AML, or it's open? Yes, so it depends. So when it comes to our social payments app, yes, they are KYC because obviously just for regulatory compliance, we have to comply with relations in all the jurisdictions we work in. But for a social messenger telechat, we don't KYC any users. It's a privacy-focused messenger. So what we do is you still, you might want, you might have to, if you need to interact with the banks and fiat, then you will have to get KYC. But if the KYC is all done through Coins app, you will then connect your Coins app to your telechat. So that's how it's done. Before we move on, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Coins App. We've talked a bit about it on the show already. And as you are aware, it's a global social payments application for cryptocurrencies to empower billions of people to send money around the world in seconds. Now, huge shout out to the guys for building out their ecosystem and their product, which has already been launched. In one month, they've already done $1.8 million worth of transactions. 
which is great. It shows that they have traction, people trust the product. So it's pretty exciting. Do check it out whilst you can. Awesome. And right now, the priority is Africa, right? Onboarding customers in Africa who probably are remitting within the African market, but also externally. Or Africans yes. living abroad trying to remit. Yeah, the diaspora of Africa. The next priority, I think, will be the Middle East, because safely because that's a very big revenue market. The only concern is we are going slowly because we know that COVID has slowed a lot of the economies down and things are just starting to, to come back. So we're trying to go slowly, pace it, and win our new customers over. But why would you want to pace it when digitalization is, is becoming sort of the, the key thing? Well, the Middle East, the only reason, is not as if it's more of a, an economic decision. So what reason why we we're trying to do that is because of the economy. Because if people who are being laid off, they are being sent back to their countries, there's not going to be much economic activity so now to us, we feel like now is the time to start right on, but we don't have to push too much until we start to see some traction, which we are starting to see. You know, Nick also just mentioned that Dubai is coming back up. So now we're going harder and harder to, to get things moving forward. So I'd expect by the end of the year, we should be up in the news. And as part of your plans, do you are you going to go beyond just the traditional world of moving value around? Are you going to move into services? Are you going to provide some sort of loan structures? Now we're getting into the new world of DeFi and, and all that crazy stuff that's going on. But are you looking to offer that to your customer base? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so this is something very interesting. We're looking very extensively into that. We're going to be looking into investment-wise. Yeah, we're going to be looking at interest, especially because apart from even in the Middle East, even in Africa, there's a lot of interest in this. People want to earn interest on their money. So they all want to use this kind of services. And we're, we're definitely going to be looking at decentralized finance um, use cases in the Middle East and Africa. So this is very, very interesting to us currently. And we're also looking into to a lot of things. We're looking into our social network. It's a decentralized social network we're working on. And it will be available by the end of the year. And... It also will be interoperable with CoinsApp. So there will be a rewards token. The token, the same token that I spoke about earlier will also include some reward mechanism in it to do with our social network, to do with our exchange, and to do with like just our general DeFi ecosystem. Yeah, sorry, just just quick. Before we go and talk about decentralized finance, can, can one of you guys explain what that is? For, for the layman. <laughs> What's the body name? <laughs> Why nobody is going to put their neck out and try to explain DeFi to a layman right now. There's absolutely no chance on this planet. I mean, I could give it a go. Well, <laughs> let me give you a little bit of what I can say is DeFi is decentralized finance and it's like a new monetary system that's built on public blockchains and has plug and play tools to make financial services accessible at lower cost. But this is just the basic explanation. It's, it's more complicated than it sounds. I'll be very honest. And it's not something that you can learn in one day. Absolutely agree with you 100%. Yeah. All the best to anybody who's trying to tap into DeFi at the moment. I would suggest whoever is strongly looking at it to, or strongly considering to, to, to research it, look at it in terms of its primitives, 
start just from first principles and then work your way upwards because then just it will make sense as you sort of go along. But to add to Danny's point, I would also add that it's essentially a form of like the reason why it's accessible is because you don't really need to have identity or KYC or anything to be a part of this new internet financial monetary system. I think DeFi started out with digital decentralized exchanges after the centralization of exchanges. And then it moved into sort of staking and some sort of lending, very simple lending mechanisms where you could do that within, let's say, Binance or anything like that. And everybody decentralized it. And then some geniuses came up with Uniswap and Curve and a bunch of other up and coming platforms right now that have created a lot of trajectory, primarily because they can actually operate to a certain level at scale and are providing some extremely complex returns, which I think is going to make it difficult for a lot of people. But you know what, to be honest, I think the stable coins have blown up in the last 12 months, right? So even Dan is, Dan is doing it himself, he's having a stable coin, but the fact is that stable coin when staked or held should provide some monetary return other than maintaining its value. But I imagine in Africa, just having something stable is already a, an investment right now and, and a saving. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I will tell you, even myself, I don't hardly hold our, our local currencies anymore. If it's not for business, I don't have, I hardly hold them because it's just a, a waste. Because even just the, my local currency fell about 20, 22% this year already, if not more. So just holding money in dollars alone is already an interest for me. And then now maybe put it in a de- like a decentralized finance platform, like maybe BlockFi, which I use, it gives you straight up interest as well. So it's, it's like a win-win when it comes to DeFi in Africa. How does it, I mean, this is a bit off topic, but how does, how does that interest, that change in currency valuation impact the local market? It's on a daily basis, right? Are they literally recalculating prices on the street? Every day. Yep, yep, yep. Every wow. week, every every two weeks. That's what I, I, you know, I hear about things from back home and I, I just feel like it's bad. People are then now starting to realize that they have to hedge. So I, I'm happy. It's also increasing adoption for us because people already know us as the new kids on the block. Like, oh, you want to see it? You don't want your money to get devalued? Okay, go, go download CoinTap. So it's becoming a word on the street kind of thing for us as well. So we keep on seeing people coming on Hedging, hedging against volatility in the app or withdrawing the stablecoin and keeping it in there, you know, maybe MetaMask or something. So the guys in Africa who are onboarding, they're going to a kiosk or how are they getting from their fiat physical currency into your application at the moment? The banks, mostly we have banking partners. So what, what they do, there are two ways, either by card, or by mobile money, because Africa is also has a very big mobile money market. So we also integrate with the mobile money providers. So either mobile money, their cards, or by bank transfer. So they transfer into the wallet. We give them a specialized account and they transfer straight into the wallet. Okay. okay. And then obviously vice versa. Yeah. So the off-ramp also works that way. Yeah. So when are you launching your own crypto card? Well, first we're launching a virtual card, virtual crypto card. And we will then look into our own crypto card by early next year, I guess. Very good. That's that's a, a quite a lot of stuff you got to do then before Q1 next year then. Yeah, yeah. to get to where we are right now, we, we took a lot of months 
in preparation. So this is nothing for us. <laughs> I think personally, we feel that we've passed the harder bottlenecks of launching. And now it's more subtle where we just keep on launching products like every week, every two weeks, because we already had them in the pipeline and we're just easily really executed. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I would also say as well, like one, I just see Nick put on a WhatsApp group that is shared by us. A decentralized agnostic network is stands for Dan DeFi. I don't want to get into that, um, <laughs> but I don't want to sound like an investor or anything, but I, I've just been getting this question a lot, but like stuff around go to market. So it's great that you're sort of shipping products and launching but actually getting the users is sort of, I would say, even more than half the battle. And how was that going? And how do you plan to sort of really go to market to get the rest of, you know, not just the current people in, in crypto to use what you're building, but also new people? So, so that's a very good question. What we're also doing is we're taking different approaches. We're looking at using traditional. So if you want to get people that are not in crypto into crypto, you have to look at what they do. We only have about 50 million users in crypto at the moment. We're just starting a new decade. And we expect by the end of the decade, we should have about 1 billion people in crypto. So if we want to go from 50 million to 1 billion people in crypto, we have to go after what those 950 million people are doing that the 50 million people in crypto might not be doing. So, and one of those things is, for example, social media, traditional media, those are the channels those people are. They're not in crypto crypto Twitter. You understand? <laughs> people were really doing Some of them slowly are, by the way. Some of them slowly yeah, are. Some of them slowly are, but that's just a little bit of them. I'll tell you a story. Like, like I even have friends that when I tell them crypto is or Bitcoin, they're like, oh, I thought that was a scam. <laughs> you know? So it's it's still a lot of people still don't understand it. They don't want to get into it which is good for us so we can stack up and continue stacking sats. <laughs> but but we need all these people in crypto. So it's something we're really, really pushing towards and really, really moving across channels to, to get people in. So one of our strategies is trying to get social media influencers. One of our strategies is traditional media, TV, radio, and just general press. We are, we're doing a lot of work there and we are starting to push heavily on that. How many of your customers know they're using an application that is fundamentally based on blockchain and cryptocurrency? And how many are just not really aware? They just they just care about the outcome. Well, well, I'd say uh, if I could take a hard guess, I'd say 60% no. Currently, sometimes we still get like funny activity where we say, oh, this guy doesn't know about crypto. The complaints, sometimes it's the complaints that let us know that this guy doesn't know about crypto. So it varies. About 60% is a good number, I'd say, are well aware of what they're doing. The good thing about it is that the 40% sometimes don't even know they're using crypto. Yeah, exactly. That's, that means that the product is in demand and they don't care about how it works. It just works. Exactly. Interesting. No, that's great. I mean, I think that's where at least part of what digitalization and moving forward is, right? Where you use this piece of tech without you knowing. And I think the, the huge upside that we'll see in the next decade for sure is people using crypto and knowing that they're using crypto, but it's just made very easy and simple. Because once that does happen, there will be no need for banks or at least banks and these trusted intermediaries as they stand today. I just think the trusted intermediaries will just shift. There'll be different 
trusted intermediaries really i think that they will become they will become platforms rather than intermediaries well i mean if they're if they're a trusted platform or a platform is an intermediary to some extent or custodians you know because at the end of the day when yeah. you when you issue a stable coin you still have to put that money in the bank right so they're still custodial yep absolutely so danny what are your predictions what are your your thoughts on what's going on in the market at the moment well i've been in the market for over i'd say seven years actively 10 years non-actively not all actively so what i'd say is i just don't feel like this is this is 2017 yet I feel like this is 2016. So I think that there's still room for the market. We are definitely at the start of a bull run. You can see the signs and all that. But I think that we could easily go from here to about 10, 15x to the current price, maybe about 150k by next year end. I'm not sure. It's not investment advice, but this is just my personal feeling. And what the funny thing about this is, if this happens, what's going to happen to maybe the Forbes World Millionaire list is that <laughs> half of the list is going to be people from crypto and it's going to shock the world, <laughs> right? Um, I think that that's a very big possibility because if Bitcoin goes to about one fifty dollars to $200,000 by next year end or the year after or whenever, that will mean that it's, it's going to be a very, very crazy one. So, so just take, take the people that have a lot of crypto and see how much crypto they will have if that happens. And, and look, look at the price of Ether. It's Ether, Bitcoin, whatever cryptocurrency that, that has a good project, that has good value, will always sustain its value. So that's what I feel. Yeah, I, I definitely do agree with the fact that we will definitely see new all-time highs. And yeah, it might be sooner than what people think. And I think that will help drive and spur even more. Like I think the adoption will be even more crazy. Why? Because now you have apps like Revolut, you still have Square, the Cash App, who've all now got really easy enabled payments of Bitcoin, allowing you know anyone to just buy Bitcoin for a pound or a dollar or just very, very small payments. And how Tesla prices really went up when people were using Robinhood a lot during the lockdown. I feel we might get into the same sort of stage when it comes to Bitcoin with all these apps enabling really, really easy purchases for retail users. And that will spur, basically spur even further price increases and further adoption. And when that will happen, I don't know. But I would probably say within the next, easily within the next two years. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're in August now. So I feel one and a half years. I just feel so. Mm. So another thing we're, you know, we're looking at is the decentralized social network we're building. We see a lot of problems with centralized social networks today. You see the TikTok ban, you see, you see the Twitter hack incident, and you see that a lot of censorship in social network media today is, is leading to a lot of questioning around the world. And I feel that it's time for people to start looking at change and change in the social networks we have today will support the social networks of the future. What does that mean? Essentially, we live in a world today where you could tweet today and your tweets get banned, right? Or you could post something and it's, it's removed because the, plat the centralized platforms hold the power. So it's more about giving the power back to the people. 
would giving it back to the people in this case be a good or a bad thing? Because what we saw even during the Black Lives Matter movement, where Jack Dorsey managed to censor some of the tweets of Donald Trump, that was seen as a great thing because they were basically they they had a good head on them and thought, All right, this ain't some information we don't want to have out there. But when when you leave it to the people and it's in a very sort of decentralized way, couldn't anyone put anything up there? Like, how could you censor the bad stuff? Yeah, well, with us, the way we do it is we have our independent moderators. So the moderators are the ones who have power to do things like this, not the platform. So it also creates a fairly fair and decentralized environment where the company is not in control of data, it's not in control of what's done. It's more about independent moderators all around the world that nobody knows that have zero ties to the company. So this also helps in terms of having the products being accessible to the masses and also having creating a safe environment across the world. So that's essentially shifting it from one trusted intermediary to multiple moderators who who would at least have less degrees of yeah, power. And not only that, the databases are decentralized, so we don't even have access to the primary data in the first place. So that's another key thing. With social media today, all the social media platforms, they have all our data. They have everything we do. They have all like every data it's it's scary because it's just not a good thing where someone just has so much information about you without you giving them the right to have it so that's also something that a lot of people are growing concerned about especially after cambridge analytica and all those kind of things that have been going on for years gotcha yeah, no, I get that. And it's just, I guess, you know, the decentralized database aspect is more of a feature than as it is a sort of a thing that everyone craves and wants. Yeah, of course. Uh, people are not looking at, I'll be honest, people are not looking into saving themselves from the world. But as time goes on, people will start to realize more and then we'll start to, we will see the shift from centralized to decentralized. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And we've seen definitely some parallels with just other things that are happening all across the world, whether it's climate change, even as I mentioned before, the racism and Black Lives Matter, you know, people kind of did care. But one thing had to lead to another, which basically causes this worldwide focus on trying to eliminate that problem. And I feel that it's like the Cambridge Analytica scandal, right? Like it sort of showcased, hey, look, you know, these big tech companies, having your data is not a big thing, but it didn't, it wasn't like a George Floyd moment, right? The Cambridge Analytica thing for data for these big tech companies. And I, I do see that coming about soon. When, like, whether it's the next two years or next 20 years, I have no idea. But I definitely feel that that realization will come, you know, it's that it will probably be like a black swan or something before people realize that. Uh, yeah. No, that's interesting stuff. That's really, really interesting. And so before we sort of finish things off here, we always have this question for our guests, right? If Bitcoin or Ethereum was hang off a cliff, which one would you save? Quite a tricky one. Um, I'd say to save, I think, Ethereum. I'm just, I might be, oh. yeah. <laughs> because Ethereum has a lot of more use cases than Bitcoin. <laughs> Currently, yeah, currently, because DeFi uses Ethereum, all the protocols use Ethereum, all the stable coins use Ethereum. So 
just look at the world around and you see what we're talking about. Yeah. Do you know, do you know there was more Bitcoin that was tokenized on Ethereum than mined Bitcoin in like a day or not in a week's period, something like that, which is crazy. So like, yeah, basically I do see that because there's been a lot of people actually wrapping their Bitcoins on Ethereum. Essentially, it's basically taking your Bitcoin, locking it into a contract and then representing that Bitcoin on the Ethereum blockchain. The reason why people do this is so that they use that Bitcoin for two purposes, either to send and receive it very easily because Ethereum is quicker than Bitcoin or to use that Bitcoin and use it for DeFi, as we mentioned before, to actually try and gain yield on your idle bitcoins essentially totally agree all right awesome so so we have someone who's clear on on ethereum being the one saved from a hanging cliff great if anyone wanted to reach out to you danny how could they do so well they could always reach out by twitter my twitter is f-u-t trillionaire yeah, mo- mostly by twitter i i tweet every day kind of twitter is my bread and butter and my email should be on our website. We have our general email. That's info at dannyoyekin.com and reach out to me through there as well. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Danny. And really good luck on all these amazing endeavors that you're taking. Yeah, thank you very much, Amit. And thank you very much, Nick. It's lovely to catch up with you guys again and look forward to seeing you again when everything is normal in Dubai. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you'd want to leave Barbados. I mean, you, it seems like you're having lots of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be back soon. <laughs> yeah, all right. Cheers. Cheers, man. Have a good one. Take care.